about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the question before us this morning. My God, my God, why? This week as pastor has been an unusual week for me. Uh, visiting in some of the homes of some of our people that are going some of the life's toughest struggles they've ever faced in all their life. And they ask why. Do you understand that oftentimes we love these people, we pray for them, but even as pastor, I cannot sometimes fill in that why. Our Savior on Calvary's cross looked to heaven to his Father and said, why? We're going to look at that why. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Father, help us this morning. Thank you for the attendance of your people. Thank you for the spirit that we feel here this morning. Thank you, Father, that you've called us to this hour. You have told us in your word not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. The day of your return, the day of your coming is near at hand. How faithful and dedicated we ought to be to the service of your, of your church. And thank you for these that have come today to hear from you. And I pray, Father, that you would lead me by your spirit and your word might have impact in our lives. I pray for those that might be here this morning that may not know Christ as Savior. May today they see a suffering Savior on Calvary's cross. May they understand why that Savior went to the cross and why he suffered and why he died and why he rose again so that they might have their sins forgiven, a home in heaven. And Father, I pray today they'd respond. But for we that have made that decision, we've already trusted Christ as Savior. Would you help us to understand that we are to be busy reconciling the world to God? We are, in fact, ambassadors called by you. The Great Commission belongs to the church of Jesus Christ. May we go, therefore, and teach all nations. Speak to us in this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. At daybreak, he entered the temple to speak. All of the crowd sat down at his feet. He spoke with such wisdom as they'd never heard. With amazement they listened as he taught the word. All of a sudden there burst through the door. A woman was brought and stood near the Lord. The sins she committed were not like the rest. With stones in their hand Jesus knelt down and rode in the sand He lifted his eyes and spoke to each one You without sin cast the first stone In just a few moments her accusers were gone No one around her, she was standing alone he forgave her her sin, and she went on her way, and, and she, she ran, ran through the 
city with joy she proclaimed. Justify and never sinned. Justify was always cleansed. Justify and never wandered so far from home. Jesus took all my sin away. He gives new to Jesus, he came in my stead, he told my accusers, I paid all this debt, justify and never sinned, justify was always cleansed, justify and never wandered so far from home, Jesus took all my sins. Justified, just as if I had never sinned. I was thinking about as I come into church this morning, I was listening to some preaching on the radio, and the man used this illustration about when our sins are paid for, they're paid for. You don't pay a bill twice. In early days of ministry, we were working on the building one Saturday on the north side of town, and it got we got later than we normally was, and it's my just my wife and family and I. And I said, we're going to go get something to eat. And she said, we don't have money. I said, I know. And I'm not going to put it on the card. She said, well, how are we going to get something to eat? I don't know. Lord will take, I, oh, seriously, I don't know. We're just going to go. I remember this. We were pulling into a place we don't often eat. But we were pulling into Black Eyed Pea. And we were pulling in, and a van was pulling in at the same time, and I stopped so he could go in. He stopped so I could go in, and we backed up the traffic on Highway 50, just being kind to each other. <laughs> Finally, one of us went, and we ordered our food, and, and uh, we prayed and gave God, uh, prayed for the food. And, and then we're ready for the check. And... We finally, the waiter wouldn't bring the check, and finally we called the waiter and said, listen, we need our check. We need to be leaving. And she, he said this, said, 
You know the man that was sitting right here? He, pray, he paid for your meal. Now, what about this? I could say, you know what? No, this is my food, and I'm going to pay for it myself. Huh? He paid for it. Can I use that simple analogy to say your sin's been paid for? Nobody should go to hell for their sins. They've been paid for. Right? Look at this. My God, my God, why shall, why hast thou forsaken me? The five questions that we're looking at. Week number one, we looked at the question that Pilate asked the throng. And what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? Do you know that each and every one of us under the sound of my voice must answer that question? And Jesus is the only man that you have to make a determining factor. What are you going to do with Jesus? You have two choices. We can receive him or reject him. If we receive him, our sins are forgiven. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And one day we'll stand before the beam of seat of Christ and we'll hear these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. If we reject him. And for all of eternity, you will be cast into a place called hell. Preacher, I don't believe in hell. I, I want to be as kind as I can. It doesn't change the temperature one bit. There is a hell. Christ warned people not to go to hell. And you don't have to. But if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's in fact, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Last week, the last time we spoke on this, we looked at in the book of Job. Job asked a pertinent question. We believe he was looking at the new fresh graves of his children. And he asked this question, if a man dies, shall he live again? If a man dies, we looked at that. And today, the third of the five questions, it is a cry from Calvary's cross. The sixth hour, we look at that. And we look from about 12 o'clock in day until 3 o'clock in the afternoon as Christ is hanging on the cross. You think about this, in your Bible, and we believe this, and this is one of the reasons that we use the King James Bible, one of the reasons we believe that we can, that God preserved this for us, and every jot and every tittle and every word in the Bible is important and placed by God. I want you to look back at the words Jesus spoke in verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli. The word capital E and L in the Old Testament is a name for God. When you add that personal pronoun, I, to it, it becomes not just God, my God. That's what Christ is saying. L, E, L, God. Add the personal pronoun I, my God. You see, we'll look at this when we study the Passover as we get ready for the Lord's Supper. In the Word of God, in two different places, in the Old and New Testament, we find this statement. In Exodus chapter number 12, every man was to take a lamb. Right? And then the Bible says, now think about this, a lamb, but then says your lamb. A lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world, correct? Has he ever become your lamb? So you look at this. Christ on the cross is saying of his father, my God, my father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
he was crucified at around 9 o'clock in the morning. And, and think about this. We don't often, according to Matthew 27, he was crucified naked. They took his vestures and they cast lots. The artists are very kind when they portray Christ on the cross. They paint our Savior as being covered, but he was not. You think about this. He was crucified naked according to Matthew 27, verse 35. God meant for his son to be exposed. And can I say this to you this morning? You can't expose Jesus too much. You can't teach about him too much. You can't preach about him too much. In the early days in the 60s and 70s when the hippie movement came, they called some people like us Jesus freaks because that's all we spoke about. You can't sing about Jesus too much. You can't exalt him too much. You can't brag on him too much. You can't, you think about this, you cannot present him too much in the workplace, in the church, in the home, no matter where you cannot present the Lord Jesus Christ too much. He is supposed to be exposed to mankind. And I pray that you and I will do that at the shopping center, at the restaurant, in the, place, in the banking places, in the places that we go that we'll do that. When they crucified, now follow me before we get to our question. When they crucified our Savior, he had five pieces of clothing, five garments. He had a headpiece, a footpiece, an outer robe, a sash, and an inner robe. And that was contrary to Roman law. And it was contrary to the Roman soldiers. In their custom, each person usually only got one garment and a piece of their own clothing. But on our Savior, there were five, an inner garment. And that garment was woven without seam. Remember, they gambled for it. At the foot of the cross, once our, our Savior was, was disrobed and they took his clothes, they, they gambled for those at the foot of the cross. That is John 19, 23 through 24. And thus there, as they took his robe, he began to say the last saying, seven sayings from the cross. Here is the first, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I personally believe. I, who is Christ talking about there? I personally believe. Jesus is God. Always was God. Never stopped being God. And he knew what would take place. I believe on the day of Pentecost. That many of those that Christ was asking for forgiveness for. On Calvary's cross. The great multitude of people that got saved that day. God did forgive them. But the first saying from the cross, Father, forgive them. The second, thou shalt be with me today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Can I, I never saw this before, before this week studying this. When our Savior walked into heaven, he didn't walk alone. He took somebody with him. Can I encourage you this? How long have you been saved? And if you've been saved for any length of time... And God were to call you home, would you take anybody to heaven with you? Our Savior walked into paradise with somebody on his arm. I remember years ago in the other facility, some of you know Pearl Allard. 
Pearl is now 93. Can't come. But I remember Pearl had a nephew that was dying. And she said to me, she said, Pastor, will you go see my nephew? He's dying. And I said, Pearl, I'll be glad to, but why don't you go? And she said, Pastor, I've, I've never witnessed to somebody. I've never told somebody. I've never led somebody to Christ. I said, why not? She said, you think I can do it? I said, I know you could do it. What do I tell them? How did you get saved? Tell them that. And she said, Preacher, I, I want to go and I'll be willing to go. But with your blessing, I'll go. And I said, you go. And if it doesn't work, I'll go. I remember that next service. I knew something had happened. Pearl's sitting there with the biggest smile on her face. And I said to her, I said, after service, I said, Pearl, I think I know why you're smiling. Tell me. She said, Ronnie got saved. I led my nephew to Christ. She was 80-some years old. Led her first soul to Christ. Don't walk into heaven alone. Can I tell you this? I think, Brother Andrew, you, it was you and I that were talking this week about this. Do you know when you give to the ministries of our church and somebody gets saved like they did this week and somebody gets saved like they did last week, and do you know that some little boys and girls downstairs, while we're right here, if they get saved and you give to this ministry, you won't walk into heaven alone. Do you know when you give to foreign missions that you don't walk into heaven alone? Whether it's Brother Randy Smith in Japan, and, and we got a letter from him, and Brother Bliss, I don't know if you put this up, and, but you think about this, and they're talking about a new emperor that Japan has now, and they worship the emperor. Do you know with, but what faithful servants Brother and Mrs. Smith are in Japan? Do you know if a little Japanese boy or girl doesn't believe on the emperor and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and they get saved and you give the mission through this church and we keep him on the field, then you're walking into heaven with fruit. Brother Lima in Mexico, Brother Dover who was just here to the forgotten people, you say, you're not going to pack up and I'm not, I, I am the biggest chicken in the world. There is no way under heaven I'm going where Brother Dover's going. I'll pray for him. I'll love him. I'll give. That man goes into some dangerous, dangerous areas. But he said the third saying in Christ on the cross, today thou shalt be with me. Second saying, the third one, son, behold your mother. Why would he tell John that? We forget, but if you look at John 7, Christ's brothers and sisters didn't believe on him. There at the cross, they lived with him. They didn't believe on him. So John did, and he said, John, you take care of mama. When I die, you take care of mama. Son, behold thy mother. The fourth statement is our question this morning. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The fifth one being, I thirst. The sixth one being, it is finished. And the last one, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. What could be the meanings of such a tragic conclusion to the greatest life to ever live? If you want to study a life that will change your life, study the life of Jesus Christ. 
the greatest life that ever lived. But now on Calvary's cross, he cries from that cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What has just happened? What could it be? Oh, the grief that comes to our heart even to think of the trials and what Jesus went through as he hung on the cross. I want you to think about it this morning. Those hands that took a, a loaves and fishes and fish and fed 5,000. Those hands that, that spat on the ground and took that spittle and put it on blinded eyes and opened those eyes. Those hands that handed out to the poor are now nailed to Calvary's cross. Those lips that spoke such precious words. Oh, the words of Jesus Christ are now parched and dry and wanting just a little bit of water. Those precious feet that walked all up and down Palestine and all up and down that area and carried the gospel and healed people and, and comforted people. Those precious feet are now nailed to Calvary's cross. Those eyes that were filled with such compassion are now glazed over in death. What has happened? What is happening on that cross? Is it, is it kind of like Shakespeare's play, Macbeth? Is it a dramatic play? Is it a historical tragedy like Socrates drinking the hemlock? Or Caesar murdered at the foot of Pompeii? Is it like Abraham Lincoln in the fourth theater? Is that kind of what's happening? No. What's happening is, we'll look at that's our lesson today. We'll understand what is happening between heaven and earth. Why would our Savior cry those words out? Albert Schweitzer, which I have a few books of in my library, and some of you men probably do, wrote a, a book that I could not agree with in a lot of ways the quest for the historical Jesus. Maybe some of you have read it. He draws this conclusion, Dr. Schweitzer is wrong. He said Christ expected his kingdom to come down from heaven, and when it didn't, he died in frustration, darkness, and despair. Is that true? No, Dr. Schweitzer's wrong. Christ knew what he was doing. When he went to Calvary's cross, he was not expecting one day the kingdom of our Savior will come to earth again. But he was not expecting that on Calvary's cross. So what is this? The suffering and the crucifixion of our Lord? Our blessed Bible reveals to us the everlasting answer. It is the impartation of God's eternal plan for our redemption. That's what's happening on the cross. This is the slated son who will crush Satan's head. This is the blessed Passover lamb by whose blood that is shed will cover the sin man sins. This is the consummation of God's eternal purpose of salvation and redemption. Go back with me when Adam and Eve sinned. There in the garden in Genesis chapter number 3, they were naked. God came and killed an innocent animal. Blood was shed. There from the beginning in Genesis chapter number 3 to, eight, to Genesis chapter number 15 and Genesis chapter 22 that we studied last week, Abraham and Isaac going up to Mount Moriah. Father, here's the wood. 
Where's the sacrifice? What did Abraham tell him in chapter 22? God will provide himself a sacrifice. That's what happened here in Matthew 27. God's lamb, the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world is going to Calvary's cross. He was crucified and the blood poured from his face and his hands and his feet. The blood dropped to the ground. And the dust of the ground whispered to the herb, to the herbs, it's finished. And the herbs whispered to the birds, it's finished. And the birds took the song to the clouds and said, it is finished. And the angels picked it up from the clouds and walked the streets of glory and said, it is finished. What are you doing to get to heaven? I'm going to be baptized. It's finished. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to get my name on the, on the church rolls. It's finished. There's nothing you and I can do other than trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's finished. So what is this? My God, my God, this is the judgment upon our sins. 1 Peter 2, 24. Now let me ask you a question. I'm not trying to set you up. Who did that to our Savior? Who crucified him? Now stay with me. Could we not say that it was his father? His father's omnipotent. Could he stop the crucifixion? He's all-knowing. Did he know it was going to take place? Who did that to Jesus? Did Pilate do it? As the governor and the ruler, he had the power to liberate him, to send him free? But Pilate didn't do it, did he? Was it the father? Was it Pilate? Was it Judas who sold him for 30 pieces of silver? That's who did it. That's who hung Christ on the cross. It was G Judas who did it. Did the Jews do it? Did they not cry from the cross, his blood be on us and our what? See, the Jews hung Jesus on the cross. If you don't believe Pilate did it, you don't believe that the Judas did it, possibly you believe that the Jews did it. Did the Roman soldiers do it? Did they not plant that crown of thorns on his head? Did they not? Were they not the ones who drove the nails into his hands and his feet? Were they not the one that stuck the spear in his side? Later on in Matthew 8, the soldier's reply would be, we were just men under authority. It's not our fault. Who did that? Who drove those nails into his hand? Who pressed on his brow the crown of thorns? And who thrust that spear into the side? Can I tell you who did it? I did it. And you did it. He said, preacher, I wasn't even there. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Why? Because your sins and my sins hung a righteous Savior to Calvary's cross. So as he utters those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That brings to our heart the humility of what is happening at that time. I told our Sunday school class an illustration I learned this week. I didn't know. I love the study of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a man that took two continents and shook them for God, England and America. He heard a man say this one time, the world has yet to see what God can do to a man or with a man. 
that's totally sold out to him. And Dale Moody said, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. The power of the Spirit of God that was on that man when he taught and preached. But no man is great by himself. Dale Moody had a, a layman that followed him everywhere he went. His name was John Vassar. Everywhere Mr. Moody went, Mr. Vassar went, and here's what he would do. He would just go to the doors in that area and say, listen, Mr. Moody's going to be speaking down here. You really need to go. One time they were having, Mr. Moody was coming to a town. There was a ladies' group meeting, and one of the ladies said, you know, Mr. Moody's coming to town. And you know when Mr. Moody comes to town, who comes to town with him? John Vassar. And one of the ladies said, what, who's John Vassar? Well, he'll knock on your door, and he'll make you feel guilty if you don't go down to Moody's meeting. And that lady said, I hope he knocks on my door. If he knocks on my door, I'll slam it in his face. Little did John Vassar didn't know that. So he knocked on her door. And she looked at him. He invited her to Moody's meeting. And she said to him, what is your name? And she said, John Vassar. He and she said, that's who I thought it was. And she slammed the door. John Vassar sat down on her step. I want you to sing with me what he sung. I'll start it. Jump in with me if you would please. Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross. And inside that lady is listening. John Vassar isn't preaching. But the Holy Spirit of God took the words of a hymn and smote her heart. She made her way to Moody's meeting. She walked out. She got saved. And she told Mr. Moody, I'm going to tell you why I'm here. And I'm going to tell you why I got saved. Because Mr. Vassar wouldn't take no for an answer. The cross is powerful. The cross is meaningful. And on that cross, Christ took your punishment and took my punishment punishment. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let me tell you why the father forsook his son for hours and the world went dark at three o'clock in the afternoon. And, and you think about that. He did it for your sins and my sins. And you understand and understanding all that God and his son did for us. Why he would be duty bound to somebody who rejects the offer of his dear son to allow them to go to a place called hell. There's something about the death of our Lord that humbles us all. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, would you please? Remember, in the, as we write, first, as the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, in his day, there were two religious sects, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. One believed in the resurrection, the other did not. Look at verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Somebody tell me what the gospel is. The death, burial. Do you believe the gospel? It's your, home. it's your hope and my hope of salvation. I, now watch it. I deliver. I preach unto you the gospel which also ye have received. Have you believed the gospel? Have you received the gospel? Have you received it? Now watch this. And wherein ye stand. If you ever received the gospel and you became a new creature in Christ Jesus, 
Nothing you did or could do would ever take you out of that relationship. Ye stand. All right? Now look at the next verse. Verse number 2, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which ye also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. The arms, think about this, go with me, to Golgotha's hill. Look at our Savior hanging on that cross. His arms are stretched east to west. What he's saying to us, the, God, the, the writer in the Old Testament talked about it this way. He took my sins. Let's see, which way is east? This way. As far east as they can go and the west. To remember them what? No more. No more. Those outstretched arms are saying, I'm doing this for you. It is finished. Duke of Wellington, they called him the Iron Duke of Wellington. You know about him, don't you? He defeated Napoleon and delivered England a great man. They worship still to this day the Iron Duke of Wellington. The Iron Duke was a member of the Church of England, and they used to give the Lord's Supper in this manner. You would come down, and you would take off all your jewelry, Watches, rings, whatever you were wearing, you'd take it off and you would kneel and receive the Lord's Supper. Historians tell us that one day the Duke of Wellington came into that church service when they were serving the Lord's Supper. And the Duke of Wellington took, out all, took off all his, of his, of his uh, jewelry and everything that he had and he knelt down to receive the Lord's Supper, or what they call the Lord's Supper. Lo and behold, here came a man right by the Duke of Ellington. We would call him a transient. He didn't smell good. He wasn't dressed right. But he came down to receive the Lord's Supper. And when he came down, that priest looked and he said to that young man, don't you know who you're kneeling by? Get up and move yourself away. You're kneeling by the Duke of Wellington. The Duke of Wellington stopped and he said, your reverence, please, not here, not now. He said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Some of you here, you might have been like I was brought up in a Christian home and you grew up in church. Some of you accepted Christ or you've not yet accepted Christ and you look at the things that you've done and there's an old devil that wants to keep you in your seat and never trusting Christ as Savior. But can I tell you, if you were to come, you don't confess your sins to a pastor or associate pastor or anybody else. There's one mediator between God and man. That's a man, Christ Jesus. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I want Brother Josh to put something up as we close this morning. You know this man, John McRae, 1915, World War I. I want to show you what John McRae saw 
see if Brother Josh, if you can skip. Flanders Fields. Do you understand, you war buffs, what happened there? You see the war dead being brought out of Flanders Field? John McCrae had a, he is a lieutenant colonel in the Canadian Army. He watched this happen. He watched the men just gunned down there and lost their life. And his dearest friend on earth, he watched him as literally a bomb exploded in front of him and just blew him to bits. John McCrae went and gathered together all of the pieces of his friend that he could. He returned to that site sometime later. I think, Brother Josh, you think this? And he saw something. The war dead were buried in Flanders Field. And he noticed this, that there were the war dead. There where his friend lost his life. And many other lost their lives. When he went back there, he saw a strange phenomenon. Let me show you what it looked like. It looks like now. You see the poppies? You see, I didn't understand this, Brother Paul, from what I could understand. I studied about this. Poppies are the one flower that you have to disturb the earth to make them grow. That was a major battlefield. And look at all the crosses there. And so he wrote, I don't know, Brother Josh, is that, do you have the words to that? In Flanders fields, the, the poppies uh, bloom. Between the crosses now on row, that marks one place. It's in the sky. Now, let me tell you what he did. He wrote these words as he looked over the place where his dearest friend died. And he threw the words aside. Somebody who watched him picked him up. And he said, you should publish these. You think about this. Can I ask you a question I never even thought of? Why crosses marking a grave? Why crosses? A cross is a symbol of triumph. A cross is hope. A cross is a listen. That, wherever that cross is, of that person that is buried underneath their new Christ, there's hope. I'm going to see my friend again. I'm going to see my mom again. I'm going to see my dad again. I'm going to see two brothers I just buried. I'm going to see a, a, a little brother I never met. Who are you going to see? So when we mark a grave with a cross, just like John McRae is saying, we are saying there's hope because our Savior went to Calvary's cross, because he was alienated from his father for a time of darkness and the world went dark and he felt the horror of our sins upon him and he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We now, when we have a loved one die, and if there's a cross placed on a grave marker, it speaks to us of triumph, of promise, of hope and of glory yet to come. In the shadow of those crosses, the first mourners and apostles took their stand the Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you sing it with me as I, as I close today? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood 
from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure save from wrath and make me because of the cross my God my God why hast thou forsaken me so that he could get saved and he could get saved and she could get saved and he could get saved and she could get saved and you could get saved and I could get saved as a 12-year-old boy because God the Father pronounced judgment upon his own dear son because of our sins. Now because of that and because of the cross, you can come. And can I say this to you? And you should come. You reject the cross. I don't care what religion you study by. You reject the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no hope outside the cross. Only one man lived a sinless life. Only one man died and buried, was buried again, rose again. Only one man is a mediator between God and man. And that is who you need to be your